Hello, everybody. I know I like to review movies from time to time, but I'm going to pull an old switcheroo this time around. Uh, I'm going to review something called a book. And, God, they are incredible, because apparently you just read through the book, and when you do that, uh, a story comes out of it and transfers into your imagination, and let me tell you what an incredible experience it is. And it proves you can stare at something for hours on end that is not your phone, TV, or laptop screen. And the book I'm reviewing on tap today is none other than the sci-fi classic Dune by Senor Frank Herbert. God, what a juggernaut it is. Everybody talks about how influential it is throughout the realm of sci-fi, and it does not fail to deliver. It is incredible, and I'm going to go step-by-step step through it and the best I can remember because I finished reading a couple of weeks ago. Uh, spoilers ahead. I hope you enjoy them. I know I will. See you on the other side of this intro. If you've made it this far, I appreciate you. You weren't scared away by the prospect of me reviewing a book. Took about 20 minutes of drinking this, this wild turkey. It's got me gobbling. Trying to figure out the right words of just not condescending people, even though I'm trying to, because nobody reads books anymore. But this one is goddamn tremendous. Dune, and pretty much it reminds me of a... An intergalactic Game of Thrones. There's houses, there's tomfoolery, there's an empire, there's there's just so many elements and, uh, elements to it, and it was just a super, I'm going to say a necessarily easy read, but it's not, you know, it's not James Joyce or anything like that. It's, it's a, a really fun read. I found myself wanting to come back, wanting to read it even more and more and more, because there's some books that just fall flat for you. This was not one of those, and as an aspiring sci-fi writer, this was excellent um, inspiration. As you can see, Tremors is probably the most obvious one with the, all the worms in it. Uh, Star Wars uh, with the Snar Sarlacc's Pit. I believe it's the Sarlacc's Pit. But there's just, its influence has been spread throughout the realm of sci-fi for decades and it was, it was just cool to read it and see where some of the sci-fi, say, movies or entities that I love uh, got their inspiration from and it's okay to get inspiration from another source now everything has to be super original all the time you can be inspired and influenced by things that you read or see and dune is definitely one of these for me now and i'm really happy to have read it it is one of like i want to say six books it is an ongoing thing will i read those in the future yeah why not but for now just read the classic and let's just get right into it the best I can recall. I can do not recall books as well as I do movies, so bear with me. Not bear as in, you know, rah, bear with claws and hibernation. I'm talking bear as in just put up with me. Put up with my lapses of memory. But first, well, turkey. Dude, nice. All right, very good. So we start off, we start off on the gorgeous planet of Keladon, the home planet of House Atreides. And we see the protagonist is Paul, Paul Atreides, a uh, stout young lad. I'm going to say he's about 15. And the chapter goes forward and he is met by his mother, Jessica. And there's her, Jessica's mentor. I forget this mentor's name. She's this old hag, this, this witch of a, a cat lady, but she's this kind of old cosmic mystic. And Jessica and this old cosmic mystic belong to this group of 
um, sages, I'd say, called the Ben Jesuit. Jesuit? Ben Jesuit. Potatoes. And they're kind of like just space witches. It's pretty cool. Um, and it's kind of Paul's time to step into this role, maybe receive the training of the Ben Jesuit, where it, it's really cool, the, the concept of these space witches and like what they do and what their abilities are. It's not necessarily magic, more so a hyper-intelligence and being able to calculate uh, a, a number of possibilities moving forward. They can speak different languages. They can speak in a way that influences people by the, the tone of their voice and based on the, the race or the... Well, what type of person, the planet they're on, if spoken to in a certain tone, you can control their actions and movements. It's pretty f***ing savage. But it, it takes years of training and refinement. They're uh, super disciplined and they have photographic memory. And it's, like I said, it's not so much magic as it is their hyper-intelligence. There's missionaries that go out and can bolster the lore that is the Ben Jesuit. And they don't say, no, we're not magic. They totally say, yeah, we can do all these things. We're absolutely these magical priestesses, witches that uh, you've come to believe. And then they prove it through different means of their hyper-intelligence. We'll get on this uh, a little bit later, but Paul is Jessica's son. Jessica is the concubine to Lord Leto Atreides. He's the head of the house. And she, she's a cocky mind because he, he's not married, even though they love each other. He's not married because wow. in the cosmic scheme of things and the empire, he needs to remain open for other houses to possibly marry into. It, it's, it's more beneficial for House Atreides for him to be single because it, like I said, presents different opportunities. But Paul, uh, he walks into the room and his task is to put his hand in this box this thing called the yam jabbar jessica's gone she's kind of worried there's a lot of internal dialogue in this book which is pretty cool you get a a, a deeper sense of what's going through the characters minds and paul is told all right sonny you're gonna put your hand in this box if you pull it out you will die I'm your so it's like all right looks like pretty simple you put your hand in the box he puts it in there and what starts off as a light burn, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and it eventually turns into this excruciating pain that is just all he wants to do. All he could think about is pulling it out, or it's just his mind dwells on this pain, only this pain, because it's lasting forever. Eventually, uh, he's able to take his hand out of the box, and it's kind of... I forget what the, the overall purpose of it is, but it's... I want to say it's the the old sage's way of kind of measuring where Paul's at in his Ben Jesuit training. He's not supposed to have any of it, but Jessica, you know, she, she knows her shit. She's going to train him so he's not so vulnerable. Paul's also trained by his masters at arms. His father's, I wouldn't say henchmen, but his, like, the loyal subjects have trained him to fight with saber, with rapier, rapier, whatever. The, the French sword is pretty cool looking. Paul's no slouch, and he's able to... We find out he's a very intelligent kid. He's way more intelligent than an average kind of slapdick 15-year-old. He's very well-spoken and mature. Uh, the way he speaks to adults, he's, he showcases that maturity with what he says and says things that are rather bold for a 15-year-old to uh, proper company. So anyways, uh, moving along, um, we find out that the House of Trade is going to move from Caledon. It is this just lush, beautiful, kind of Naboo-type planet. And they're going to be moving to Arrakis. Why Arrakis? 
Uh, it is... I forget if it's ordered by the Emperor, because Leto, uh, Duke Leto is cousins to the main Emperor, and I think he's being told to go to Arrakis because the other house, the evil fucking Harkonnens, these rich assholes, think of them as Lannisters, they're pieces of shit, they've been running Arrakis for a while, but it's time, it's like a change of uh, fiefdom, it's... Uh, the Harkonnens and Atreides do not like one another. Nay, do they, they do not. Uh, has it come to bloodshed? I cannot recall if there has been, but there's for sure bad blood. There's for sure bad blood. And Leto is instructed to go to Arrakis and bolster the spice production there and really like take a hold, uh, like a foothold of this planet because it's the Empire and the other... I want to say equally powerful entity in the universe it's, it's called the comb company the comb company is they're pretty much this super rich and super powerful marketing entity that controls all all economics throughout the galaxy and if you piss them off they're going to embargo your ass and you're on your planet and you're going to shrivel and die because no marketing no commerce is going to come there so they're super powerful and as long as the empire is in, is in good standing with them as long as the Atreides is cool with them, uh, and the Harkonnens as well. They're kind of like this neutral, like evil Sweden that you need to play along with. And so that, that's kind of showcased when the Atreides, uh, they all load up on this comb company, this freighter, this giant ship, and right next to them is a Harkonnen uh, vessel. Like they're, they're pretty much bunked together, and they're not going to do anything because if you start causing a ruckus on one of these ships... The comb company is going to come down in your ass and you're you're going to get no love. You're not going to get uh, any monetary lovings today. So it, it's pretty, yeah, pretty interesting concept to have this giant intergalactic uh, marketing company. So I might be butchering the story, but uh, you know, I'm giving you the, the basis of it. So the Atreides need to go to Arrakis to procure spice for the Empire. Spice is the most valuable resource in the universe why because it cannot be replicated like every other resource and spice is abundant on arrakis aka dune this planet holds the key to the commerce throughout the entire galaxy and if you hold dune if you can control it and harvest the spice then you pretty much can control and roll uh, with the comb company and all the commerce and you will have just uber prosperity so there's high stakes like the all eyes of the universe are looking at at dune or arrakis and house atreides gets in there and it's it's way different it is just an entire the planet is desert and barren it is a tatooine it is just desolate and just a place to be the antithesis the opposite end of the spectrum from caledon and jessica she has her kind of internal Ooh, i don't know if i like it here when i go back excuse me and like they're they're addicted to comfort from coming from caledon but lord atreides lord uh, duke leto oh goodness gracious he tries to make the most of it they have their palace set up and we learn that the natives of dune are called fremen you might call them freeman i call them fremen and they are this super skinny and their skin is just bone dry and they have blue within blue eyes it is told 
and that's because of their all that is from the spice in their diet all they have is spice there the water is talk about the most valuable resource in the universe the spice to them water is so scarce and it is valued on like on a biblical scale to cry when somebody dies in their culture like the the fremen culture is so cool of how they describe it to cry for someone is i want to say it's it's a sin but it's frowned upon it's like you give water for this person like you you can't do that you know you need to save and preserve all water possible and when someone dies they are immediately their body is processed and handled to extract the moisture from their bodies and like they go so far as to have little contraptions and ways of extracting the dew from from the grass from the leaves from the from what little foliage foliage there is on this planet water is so scarce and it is just their way of being they've never known rain they've never known anything close to resembling caledon all they've known is the scarcity and how hard it is on this planet makes them the resilient badass fighters that we're going to come to find that they are later on in the book and i'm just putting this out there that the emperor is a bad motherfucker. nobody really messes with the empire because he has the sadakar the sadakar are from forget the planet name it's like a prison planet but they are military fanatics that just all they do is fight all they do is win they've never known defeat they are just these savage god think of them as orakai they just go balls to the wall and just snatch up every victory that's ever been out there for them in combat so anyways the atreides are on the planet there's dialogue you meet some fremen you're trying to make good trying to make peace with them because if you make good with the fremen then that is probably the gateway to their spice if you're in good graces with them so I'm going to fast forward a little bit there. Uh, we meet the Harkonnens, Lord Vladimir Harkonnen, quite literally a big fat pedophile, big fat pedophile. And we learn that there's some scheming going on between them and the empire and perhaps a way to f over the Atreides and control over Arrakis. And I forget what's in it for the emperor, but I mean, they get paid a outstanding sum of money, a sum of money that's going to set the Harkonnens back for generations. Uh, for them to possibly rebuild the empire and the comb company so they're all in on this this coup and we learned that one of duke leto atreides inside men are going to betray his ass and they end up doing it i forget where let's see paul and jessica are taken out to a they're called a thopter but the is down is down at the palace some fremen are dead and Sadakar arrive. It's quite violent. It is hard to describe. That's what it is. Eventually, Jessica and Paul are able to escape. Even after an assassination attempt on Paul earlier in the book, when they first get there, they're able to stop that. So they know that there's there's danger afoot. They know this is not a safe place. This is not home. And Duke Leto, like, he finds out who's betrayed him, and the guy's like, hey, you know, it's like a, a Dr. Yue, I believe. Dr. Yue, you? Dr. Yue? Puts a capsule in the back of the molar of Lord uh, of Duke Leto. And this guy, Dr. Yue, has no love for the Harkonnens, even though the Harkonnens uh, put him up to it. Uh, they killed Dr. Yue's wife. Wife, even though like they said, oh yeah, we'll give we'll give her back to you because they've captured her. We'll give her back to you when 
uh, you've completed this task for us. But in the book, it says he knows that his wife is dead, so it's like, why even go through with it? But he puts this poison capsule, he tells uh, Duke Leto, when the time comes, like, you bite down on this, and it's going to wipe them out. So, Dr. Webb, he, he ends up dying. Easy peasy. And Vladimir Arconin comes on the planet, and he's talking to Duke Leto, whatever, and Duke Leto bites his molar, and it just puts out this gas. And somehow, I, I think there's... Um, uh, Vladimir Alconans, he's wearing uh, they're called still suits and they're supposed to anybody on Arrakis, anybody out, out and about needs to wear these still suits it's this translucent film that covers your entire body and it maintains the moisture and it keeps you safe from the sun and even if you piss and if you sweat it recycles it and pumps it back into your body. It is an absolute must to have these still suits on and they act as something of armor for you. Very futuristic very very uh, you know Nifty, nifty tech. You're breathtaking. Uh, they also talk about how they could possibly terraform Arrakis. Like, why is it this this desolate wasteland? We could use our satellites to terraform it, and it would all be just totally dandy, totally absolute dandy if we could just do this, harvest the f-ing spice, and all be rich. But no, you can't do that. It would be way too costly. The sandstorms and these worms, these fabled worms. That if you're outside the shield-generated area, the cities of uh, Arrakis, wow, those worms gonna get you, and they are absolutely massive. Think tremors, but even more so. They are like stretched for miles, and they just—if you're walking out in the sand, any any which way, if you're wearing a still suit out in the sand, uh, not a still suit, if you have shields open out in the sand, that's going to draw them. There's so many little things that draw these worms that this technology you can't use anymore because these worms are gonna come and eat the sh- out of you. They're going to kill you, senor. And that's not a good thing. So that limits the technological prowess that these super advanced um, houses have. Uh, so bearing that in mind, Jessica and Paul are taken out on Thopter by three other uh, Harkonnen you know, henchmen. And Jessica speaks in the way of the Ben Jesuit and is able to control one, gets him like one to kill the other, I believe. Uh, eventually they're able to crash the thopter and Jessica and Paul escape and they get out and they're found by one of Duke Leto's uh, homies, I think Duncan Idaho, he's just a badass guy finds him and he's like hey we gotta go into this cave with all these other Fremen that we've made kind with, uh, there's like the planet the planet planner if, oh my god, Stilgar and a happy new year I think it's no, it's Stilgar's brother. I forget Stilgar's brother's name, but he's there, and he's like, "Yo, like we're gonna save you," because before this, uh, Duke Leto saves a bunch of guys from a spice harvester. It's this giant mechanical beast that comes and like harvests the spice, and he shows bravery by saving the guys there because a worm is about to come, and they gotta save all these guys off this off this uh, device. And Stilgar's brother, this Fremen, sees this, and what he's he's like, "Oh, these these cream puff." Uh, moisture water sat water saturated bodies these pieces of that don't know hardship uh have shown this bravery so there's some respect gained because these hardened nomadic people the fremen like they value bravery and your ability to fight and uh, like they're pretty much under the under the emphasis like if you're the strongest fighter you got to call out whoever's in the lead the leader is for the good of the tribe challenge them kill them take their their kids or whatever but it's it's seen not as like this 
disrespect to who you kill, but it's like you're coming up and you're bettering the tribe. You're going to find more moisture. You're going to lead them to water. You're going to uh, bolster the, the tribe's prowess and health and prosperity. So Leto does this, and because he does that, that harbors good faith with the Fremen and makes them, all right, these Atreides are better than the Hokonans that were holding this planet before. All right, so maybe we should help them out. They can help us out. So they help Jessica and Paul, and then soon enough, the Sardaukar come and start killing the shit out of everybody in that in that cave. Paul and Jessica escape. Duncan Idaho stays behind, dies trying, and eventually, it's just it's learned that the Empire was behind it, and this coup just it it almost wipes out the entire Trades family. Paul and Jessica get into another thopter, and they fly into a sandstorm as they're getting chased. Pretty dramatic, and they are able to escape. All the Atreides are thought to be dead. Vladimir Harkonnen takes up um, residence at where the Atreides were in the palace. Oh, what a show. By golly gee willikers. How are the Atreides going to rebound from this? Well, it's not easy. Jessica and Paul are out in the desert where it's like, you're going to die. You're absolutely going to die, no, no matter what. It's, it's, a, it's a given. You're done. If you're out there by yourself without still suits, you're done. I believe they have still suits. Stilgar's brother comes out. You see him like it's like the day after the battle. He's crawling out of the sand, and then eventually uh, he gets swallowed up by a worm because he's sitting there. He's like, kind of hallucinating, thinking of his father. And then when a, no, no, he's not killed by a worm. There's just the desert has so many different tricks and so many different ways it can kill you. It's crazy. There's different types of sand. There's ways you're supposed to walk on the sand so you don't attract worms. And there was just this giant uh, air pocket underneath him. He knew it was going to happen. He's just too weak. And then it just swallows him whole. And then there's just this giant explosion. The desert is alive. It's fing crazy. And. Eventually, Jessica and Paul are ambushed by this group of Fremen. This is like they've been surviving for a couple days, and this group of Fremen come upon them, and they're about to get killed. And Jessica is able to kind of talk a little bit, and Paul is hiding, and Jessica is. What does she do? I think she she beats. This is Stilgar. Stilgar leads this kind of group of Fremen, this raiding party. She beats him in one-on-one -on -one combat doesn't kill him but shows him this wilding way this way of fighting because ben jesuit can fight their asses off they just know how to speak they're super intelligent super lethal and god lord she does that and is able to convince the fremen to spare them and they know where paul's at paul's like hiding in this crevice and they're like hey get your idiot get your boy down here like she's able to to negotiate their survival Paul comes down and one other Fremen is like, yeah, f you guys. So Paul, they, they have to fight one-on-one. -on -one. This is the way. It's the way things go down. Paul kills him and they're like, oh my God, this this boy is able to fight like and kill one of our most hardened leaders. I mean, not a leader, but like a valued member of the tribe who has kids and now Paul has to inherit these kids. It, it's pretty wacky-patacky. They, so they meet up with the Fremen and they're able to survive like they survive the desert somehow some way and they take into these caves that's where the fremen dwell and their long-term plan is to somehow some way turn arrakis into this planet that has water like they can they're they're still paying their uh 
like a tax of spice to the comb company. So they're not harassed. It keeps the comb company, keeps other like other people coming to take all their resources. They're paying that and they think slowly by slowly, generation by generation, they'll finally be able to gain their independence and bring water and prosperity and life to Arrakis. But their way of life has always been hard. Their way of life, their people, they are they thrive on how tough their life is. And it separates them from the Sadakar who kills all these other... They're able to kill at will and they easily defeat any other army they've come against. But the Fremen, who are thought to be these kind of... These nomadic, these sand people, these these uh, lowbrow, unintelligent, and technologically inferior scum, they're able to whoop that ass. And Paul and Jessica teach them their ways. And there's all that. This is where Jessica is able to use that Ben Jesuit Naughty. her training and the work of previous missionaries from Ben Jesuit. When they talk to Fremen, they're like, "Oh yeah, we can do this. We can do that." And we know the way, and there, there's Fremen um, prophecies of an outsider coming to lead them, one called Muad'Dib, and Jessica is able to, from a previous meeting at the palace, she has a photographic memory and gets a lay of the land, sees the map, and uh, Stilgar is talking about something, and Jessica's like, oh yeah, because of this land and that, or whatever. She, she mentions something about the terrain and the, the world that they're on. And it blows the Fremen's f***ing minds. And it just reinstills, okay, these these might be people of prophecy. They're, they're, they're different. They're able to, to fight. They're, they're super smart. Maybe we should give them a chance, even though we kill people that would just bring us down. If you can't carry or like hold your shit, if you're not carrying your weight, you're going to die or they'll kill you. It's all about pulling your weight and doing what's best for the tribe. So pretty much... Paul, he meets up with this uh, girl Chani. She was part of that uh, that hey, Stilgar's raiding group, and they walk back to the caves, and eventually begin like a. Re- Paul is he has to take over the guy he killed, his his wife. He's not poking her or anything like that, but he's taking care of the kids, and she's very subservient. Like yes, like I'm here to serve you. You killed him. Um, it's what's best for the tribe. He, the guy that Paul killed. Uh, he invoked this kind of ritual to where if Paul kills him, then like this is what happens, and Paul gets the wife and kids. Hey, good for him. I realize I'm kind of stumbling, bumbling all over this, but it's tough. My first book review. Give me a f-ing break, why don't you? Mmm, turkey's wild, brother. So, anyways, fast forward. Harkonnens, they're just. Uh, you know they're there they're naughty they're they're scheming we learned a little bit more about vladimir like like i said big fat pedophile and they have schemes to have his nephews take over and run arrakis in his stead and like i said they're scheming planning whatever but the focus majority on jessica and paul and they are winning favor with the fremen they're learning their ways paul's eyes turn blue with them blue jessica uh she's pregnant as they make their escape leto you know busted one last nut before everything went down and she gives birth to paul's little sister she is all but three but before she gives birth she jessica to prove that she is this woman of prophecy this there's so many different names and um classifications i I would need an appendix i cannot recall the name of this but she's supposed to be this kind of this all-seeing mother this knower of the universe and she drinks this 
this potion and she has this outer body experience and it's it's so vividly and wildly detailed in the book it's written in such a crazy way that it's like explaining something of an acid trip and how it's uh she sees she in uh is endowed with generations of memory of all the the seeing mothers before her she gets all of that she has all of that now she's uh more than she ever has been and i think by taking this when the daughter's born she is born like at three years old she's able to speak in full senses and is a super genius this three-year-old and then paul uh in a similar situation he's starting to become this muadib they give like first they call him usul and then uh ah, i forget there's some He's able to ride the the Fremen call the worms makers, and they're like the, they're the gods of the sand, and they they adhere them as such. And Paul's able to gain such favor uh, from Stilgar, like they're very impressed with Paul. They're very impressed with his knowledge and how he's able. He speaks with with resolve, and he even impressed the men like before his dad died, before everything went. Shit. He spoke at like this dinner with like as an adult he would address say Stilgar's brother like he addressed him in a very bold way a way that kids aren't supposed to address their superiors or adults for that matter and he's always carried himself as this kind of it's not cocky but it's he is this this formidable presence and he's as he is adhered as such and he's able to continue that like his personality his way of being and he begins developing, not these powers, but the ben, way of the Ben Jesuit starts becoming him. And he's he doesn't see the future, but his mind goes in such a way and is able to work in such a way. He's able to see hundreds, thousands, millions, like the possibilities, every conceivable possibility of the future, computation, permutation of how things happen. If it goes this way, that way, he's able to see that and vice versa in the past where the future and the past are almost one swirling vision around him of possibility and as he is he's starting to see though as his spice intake like that that clarity he's kind of able to to manifest seeing the future or predicting it or acknowledging the unseen it starts to fade a little bit and he's like all right i need to it kind of makes him feel a little bit more human because he realizes he's something of a freak but he's able to use the hardness of the fremen way and it turns him into this this awesome leader and they give him the nickname he's like oh well what is it's it's cool because um for every chapter you see these readings from prince urla it's like a little excerpt and it's from the readings of Muad'Dib. Muad'Dib, like, who is this Muad'Dib? It means, like, desert mouse, I think. And uh, Paul requests, like, oh, I want that that nickname. Like, what does desert mouse mean? And Because they start calling that kind of as a joke. And Paul's like, oh, what does desert mouse mean in the Fremen tongue? And they say, oh, Muad'Dib. And that uh, you, be, you learn that Paul is this prophet that you've been reading about before every single chapter. And it, it, it's really cool storytelling and, and just fun to put the pieces together. So moving forward, um, it comes to be game time. Uh, Paul and Shani have, have a son, I believe. Paul sends some of the Fremen people like to the south. Like they're, they're getting, they're, they're ready to go to war. They're ready to take back Arrakis from the Harkonnens, and then by this time, excuse me, 
the emperor has landed a ship like they're in orbit but the emperor is in this giant tent and the harkonnens are there there's five legions of sardaukar they're all there they're all on the planet and there's a windstorm coming and paul gets the the help of uh god damn it another one of his his father's um trusted subjects who he thought okay the atreides are dead i'm just trying to make make do i'm trying to accumulate this spice paul gets him back recruits him there's a little bit of drama with the guy and the mom because he thinks the mom jessica had something to do or orchestrated the the demise of house atreides so anyways he gets them all on the same side paul is able to rally all these forces all these fremen they've they're able to ride worms and they ride these worms and they use a sandstorm to bust through the shields that the emperor is hiding behind and there's just this big ass battle the solder car are getting their asses whipped hold on merry christmas you filthy Ooh. animals i uh and a happy new year good stuff good stuff this wild turkey anyways a giant battle ensues towards the end and paul essentially reclaims the palace and they capture a couple solder car and he negotiates with him. He's like, you go get the emperor. The emperor is scared now. Like, could, there's just this air of the, the arrogance and just prestige. And he's talking down to Vladimir Okonin. It's been this, this big dick kind of main player the entire time. He gets whacked. He gets killed in the, like, out in the, out in the, like, during the battle. So he's, he's, he's totally dead. Dead place. And Paul starts talking to the emperor and starts scheming and, uh, Vladimir Harkonnen's nephew, uh, not Robin, Robon, ah, uh, forget his nephew's name, but he challenges Paul to one-on-one -on -one combat. He's like, oh, you, he's challenging his honor. And Paul, who's more Fremen, I want to say, than Atreides at this point, he's like, bring it on. Let's go. Because Paul has, uh, his ability to, to predict the future, see the past, put it all together it's somewhat faded and he's starting to feel more human like this is the last bit of uncertainty that maybe i'll be able to to experience uh because he can't this is like a moment he can't really predict or know what's going on and he, it, it's kind of sad to see his character develop into this um god he's somewhat tainted not in a way that's like he's been like turned to be a bad person, but he's so hardened when he learned before the battle takes place, he learned that his son is killed by an, in a Sardaukar raid. But you don't really get to know about the son that much. Um, his daughter is captured by the Harkonnens and she, or his little sister, and she starts yakking, talking to Vladimir and the Emperor right before the battle begins, and then she like sneaks away, and then all hell breaks loose. They come back. The Fremen are like I said, whooping that ass and this fight's about to take place before it happens stilgar like uh, um sorry paul is saying something about like the rain coming from the skies of caledon and then stilgar's like oh my god the rain coming from he's he's so in awe because he used to be this somewhat of a mentor character mentor to, to paul teaching the ways of the fremen and then paul in his internal monologues like oh i've lost him i've lost stilgar now he's just this creature this this lackey that looks up to me and like is not someone to be respected anymore or not someone that is worthy of, of reverence like he once was i've lost him and that really sucked because you start really liking stilgar his character and how he treats paul 
He's like like something of a son, not so much a son, but just say a coach player relationship. And he's like a, a life guide. But now Paul's just in the state of mind, like, oh, screw this guy. I haven't. Uh, he's just just another creature, just another follower of uh, a flunky. And so Paul and Vladimir's nephew start going at it. There's some poison on the swords, whatever. And eventually Paul just shoves the knife right up under his chin, into the brain. Game over. Game over. Deal with it. And Paul starts negotiating with the emperor and the comb company. There's two represent representatives of the comb company. And he's like saying, emperor, uh, what's going to happen here? Uh, I have Trini here, but I'm going to marry the princess. And House Atreides will rule uh, once again. Uh, and your daughter is going to do nothing but chronicle and be there for sheerly political purposes. I will father no sons with her, no anything like that. Like, my love is here. He reassures Chani, who's there, and she's like super sad and bummed out. And Paul is like reassuring her, like, no, no, like, I'm yours. There's no other ways this is happening. And the reason this is going to happen, the reason that uh, you're going to, Mr. Emperor, the reason you're going to marry your daughter to me is because I control the spice. And the comb company is like, no, this is bullshit. We're gonna bring in the other legions. We're gonna come here and kill all of you. You can't do this. Like they are just so big-headed. They've all been addicted to being in control for forever. And I mean, not forever. Forever long, they've been, uh, you know, a thing before they come. The comb company. And Paul hits him with this: Is it not true that he who can destroy something controls it? If you even think about coming here and with us, I'm going to destroy all the spice on Arrakis, and I know I can do this. I have explosive set up, I have uh, water mains made, like he has the means to destroy every ounce of spice on Dune. And he's like, trust, like, test me. See that I won't. If you think I won't, oh, then see what happens to your, it'll be complete economic collapse everywhere throughout the, throughout the entire cosmos. Like, you're done. I control this. I control Dune. I control the spice. I control all of it. And uh, they're like, they kind of, okay, okay, okay. okay they cop two. They cop two. And the end of the book is, uh, I, it's Paul, it's Jessica, Jessica being impressed with what Paul's done, but her, Paul's and Jessica's relationship definitely like suffers. It's not so much father and or son and mother anymore. They're, he, I don't know if there's respect there or respect was lost, but even when they're first lost out in the desert, it's he almost doesn't see her as a mother anymore. Like he's his own person, this own entity. It's like, yes, there's the title of motherhood to her in relationship to him, but there's not so much love and reverence there as you'd expect. He's he's somewhat cold in that regard. And it's I don't know, it's it's his character. It's very interesting. Paul's a very interesting character. Jessica very motherly very forgiving uh, very good support for paul she tries to love him through it even though he scares the shit out of her uh like in her inner monologue she, like she's terrified uh, multiple times throughout the book of what paul is saying doing is capable of and how he handles situations with such ruthlessness and goodness gracious perhaps i should have reviewed this when uh, a little the book was a little more fresh to me but i gave it my best shot it's a pretty goddamn good read, and I think I stumbled through it enough to where maybe not all of it is spoiled, but give it a shot. Give it a read. It is such a dope book. Yes, it is all spoiled. Uh, who knows? Maybe I saved you 
hours of, of reading so you can go back to your porn and whatever else you, you're reading and watching what have you perhaps audiobook is good too audiobook it's not the same experience as sitting down reading and having that ritual of just quietness and reading the book and dedicating solely to it but audiobooks are such a viable and awesome way to receive a story now with your eyes with your ears is great like it's one of those i can imagine it makes you want to keep driving it makes you hope for traffic so you can keep on listening to this awesome book dune by frank herbert uh you know my nickname sandwich i give this eight out of ten sandwiches make that nine out of ten sandwiches for a rating i just loved it i'm really happy that i read it uh and i would absolutely recommend it to anybody interested in the world of sci-fi literature Again, sorry if I bumbled and stumbled, skipped over entire scenes and or chapters or super important instances in the book. There can only get, be getting better, right? Trial and error for a reason. That's what it's called. All right, you guys. Have a great day. Read some books. Bye-bye. You lose. Good day, sir.